It was on, but it fell off when I came up here. Did you see that? <laughs> it actually did fall off. It's graduation season, or at least it was graduation season just a few weeks ago. And for me personally, after attending dozens and dozens and dozens of graduations in my previous career, graduations have a special meaning to me. This, that music, pomp and circumstance brings to mind several memories. Memories of stifling auditoriums, long ceremonies, hot polyester gowns, and these, trying to figure out how to put these on so they don't fall off my shoulders, along with all my other colleagues. Graduation, though, has also given me great privileges to watch transformation of young people. Like the one, the one young man who at 14 years old left his parents' home to be taken into the care of Children's Aid Society. At 15, he ran away and was living on the streets. At 16, he had a cardiac arrest due to a drug overdose. At 17, he was incarcerated. And at 18, he decided to get his life back on track and enroll in high school to finish his high school diploma. Two years later, he's standing on the platform, handsomely dressed, eloquently delivering a message to his peers. Now that's why I love graduations. Graduations imply a certain things. They imply hard work. They imply transformation. They imply growth. And they imply uh, maturity. And the symbol of learning, of course, is that diploma. But when you are a, a disciple of Jesus and you want to be a student of Jesus, the symbol is no longer that diploma or even this. This does not matter. What really matters is a transformed life. So if you want to be a learner of Jesus, you have to have a transformed life. Graduates stand on the shoulders of all those who help them, particularly their teachers. And Jesus was a great teacher, so we do stand on his shoulders. His teaching was revolutionary. It was transforming. It was convicting. People would debate over his teachings. People would uh, sometimes reject his teachings and sometimes would follow his teachings. But he was a great teacher, and he used certain strategies in his teaching. He would use common everyday things that were around, and he would talk about them. He also would preach to the masses, and he would give out messages to the masses in the crowds. And at that point, some of them, of course, would reject him, and some would lean in and listen more and want more. And to those who received his message, he gave them more. Those were the strategies that Jesus used. And today's parable that we're going to look at, we're going to see those very strategies. As was read to you earlier, we are going to be looking today at the unfruitful fig tree. In a nutshell, the story is simply about a man who owned a garden and he planted some fig trees. And year after year after year after year after year, he came looking for figs 
wanting figs, but there were none there. And he was disappointed, disillusioned, and frustrated. So he finally gave up and said, just cut it down. But the gardener, the gardener said, no, no, please, please, just give me one more year, one more year to work with this tree, to fertilize it, to care for it. But then, if there are no more fruits at that point, okay, cut it down. So as I look at this parable, I think of three main points that I see here. And we're gonna work together to go through those three points. I'm going to divide you up. If you're at home, you can choose whatever group you want. And if you're at home with more than one person, you can choose to go into different groups. But this section here, you're gonna be number one. And the center section, you'll be number two. And these two sections, you will be number three. So what I'd like you to do is yell out the point when I ask you to. And I mean, use a very strong voice. I don't want whispering, okay? Because we're gonna come back to this and again and again and again through this message, the three points that come out through this parable. So number one, can I have it please? Something is expected of us. Whoa, great. <laughs> they set a really, they set the bar high. Center. Thank you. And section three. There is a final deadline. Thank you. We will come back to that, and I don't want you to forget those points. Now, remember I told you that Jesus used uh, things that were around and just common everyday things to bring these messages to them. And in this particular parable, that's what we need to look at first. This particular parable follows a conversation that Jesus had with some people. And it's very important to understand that conversation so that we can have a better understanding of the parable. So let me show you how Jesus did this. You're gonna have to get your phones out. Phones out, we're going to have a quiz. Tune in to the, this particular website. Just get out your phones. There'll be a question on there. And I believe my tech team is gonna put it up on the screen. And as you look at that uh, question, uh, the question basically is, if you don't have a phone, name three current events that are taking place in the world today. Anything, local, uh, National, international, uh, anything at all, and put it up there. Let's find out what's happening. And submit your answers and they'll be populated. Here comes some more, here comes some more, that's it. Look at all these events that are taking place in the world today. We are aware of them, and sometimes we talk about them, and we'll say things, oh, isn't that really sad? I can't believe that that's happening. Or some things may make us really angry, and we, we're, we're moved to some type of action. All these things are going on, and this is exactly what was happening with Jesus and the, and the people he was talking to. Eventually, this slide will move. 
Thank you. So in Luke chapter 13, the first verses, before we actually get to the parable, Jesus is having this conversation with some people. And they come to him and say, hey, did you hear a current event? Something that was taking place, something that people were talking about. And they come to him and they say, did you hear what Pilate did? Now, Pilate was the governor, and he and his army came into the temple in Galilee while the people were worshiping. There they were giving sacrifices to God in a very holy and sacred place. And in comes uh, Pilate with his uh, governing body and slaughters all those people. It was a tragedy. And to say the least, it happened in such a holy place. People were appalled at this. So they talked to Jesus about it. Maybe they were expecting a response like we expect when we talk about current events. Maybe they expected Jesus to say, yeah, isn't that awful? But Jesus gives a very, very peculiar answer. He says, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than anyone else? But if you don't repent, you too shall perish. And maybe they scratch their heads and say, what? So Jesus adds more. He adds another event that took place. And he says, remember that tower that fell and killed so many people? Do you think that they were worse sinners than anyone else? But you too shall perish. What's Jesus doing here? He's teaching the masses through something that's happening, something that they're very aware of. And he's lifting up their highs from the here and now in the natural world to the supernatural, looking to heaven, looking to the kingdom of God. And he's telling them something. He's telling them um, that the key is repentance. He's see, the culture at that time had this idea that if something bad happened to you, it was because you deserved it. So not only are you suffering from whatever happened to you, you're also suffering from shame because everyone who looks at you thinks, yeah, what did you do wrong? Because that's the way they thought. It was so prevalent in the world that we see it in other places in the Bible. We see it in the story of Job. Job in the Old Testament was a man who underwent atrocious type of tragedy, unbelievable tragedy, almost impossible to understand how a person can um, live to so much tragedy. And while he was there in this pit, his friends came along and said to him, at first they said nothing because they just wanted to comfort him and they were overwhelmed by the tragedy. But then they started to talk to him and they had a conversation. Conversation went on for chapters and chapters and chapters. And basically what they were saying is, Job, what did you do? We also see it in the New Testament. We see it in the book of John, where Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And they see a man that was blind. And that man was born blind. And so his disciples ask him, Lord, who sinned? He or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer, of course, was neither. You see, this prevailing thought was wrong on so many levels, and Jesus is bringing this out to them. Your way of thinking in this human world, the way that your society works, is so, so wrong. What's the danger of this type of thinking? Well, number one, we tend to put ourselves up on a ladder, and we compare ourselves with others. I'm higher up on the ladder, you're lower down on the ladder. I'm better than you are. God approves of me better because my life is good. Okay, you see how dangerous that type of thinking is? There's another subtle way of thinking 
uh, that this particular thought uh, brings out. And that is um, that we think that God is a judge. And he's sitting up there, a very stern judge, and every time we do something wrong, zap, he does something to us to punish us. And that is such a wrong idea of who God is. And as we look at this parable today, we'll see that he is a committed gardener. He's not someone standing up there just looking for you to do something wrong so he can um, punish you. That's, th that's the way, and that's the correction that Jesus was giving them to them. He was also letting them know that, yeah, you, you put yourselves up on ladder, you're comparing each other to each other, and you think you're okay, but I want you to know something. Nobody's okay. It's like the little child who comes home from school with his report card, and he's got quite a few failing grades. So his parents look at the report card and say, oh, they're so disappointed. But then the little boy tries to cheer him up and says, hey, but, 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 do you know what? Of all the kids who failed, I got the highest mark. <laughs> but the point is, he missed the mark. And that's how we are. We live in this world, and we're missing the mark. We're not understanding that compared to the holiness, the perfection of heaven, no matter what we do, no matter what kind of people we are, no matter how long we've been in church, we do not earn heaven on our own. We need that repentance. So you see how God is speaking now to the masses, and he's saying the central message is repentance. You need to change from your way of thinking, uh, a way of rejecting God as God, and turn towards him. Repentance is like a change of mind. You're rejecting God, and you change your mind, and you say, no, I'm accepting God. Repentance here is the foundation, the absolute and total foundation of the, the, the message that he's trying to give. Without repentance, you can't move forward. Okay? So that is now the, 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 the context in which this message goes forth. So now he jumps in to the parable. And remember I told you he speaks to the masses, then he speaks to the smaller group? So now the parable is aimed at a much smaller audience. It's aimed at those who've received the message of repentance. So he goes into um, the story of the parable of the unfruitful fig tree. So before we dive into it, let's remember, what are the three things that this parable teaches us. Number one. Number two. God enables us to do what is expected of us. And number three. Thank you. Yes, there is a final deadline. Just give me a second here. I think I've... Yeah. There is a final deadline. So now let's get into it. He talks about a plant in a garden. So first of all, if you're outside the garden, the analogy is that you have not repented. But now you're planted in the garden. Something is expected of us. Also, this particular parable tells us, and it implies growth, because he uses the analogy of a plant. A plant is, born, a plant is planted as a seed, and it grows. So there is that implication. And there is that implication then that the tree, when it is grown and mature, it will produce fruit. So what's the answer to the first question? Something is expected of us, it's fruit. So let's quickly look at what it was like. What's it like for uh, the plant to grow? 
So first of all, the plant starts out as um, a, a seedling. A seedling is, is, is just basically that, a very, very small plant. And when I read this, and when I researched this, I realized, ha, huh, that's why I'll never make it as a gardener. First thing on the list, wash everything. Uh, no, I didn't do that. Um, but you have to control the temperature. You have to monitor humidity levels. And this one really blew me away. You have to stroke the seedlings or give them, put them in a gentle f uh, uh, fan so that they can become stockier. Never knew that. So there's a lot of work that goes into helping a plant go from a seedling to a mature tree. And remember that gardener who said, give me one more year. He's so committed to this particular seedling. Is he expecting anything from this seedling right now? Not at this point. This is a seedling. It's growing. The next stage, of course, is what's called a sapling. Here again, this tree needs care. The, 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 you have to mulch it. You have to take care of all the, um, um, the weeds that are around it. You may have to wrap wrap it to protect it from wildlife. Again, it takes care. You can't just throw the seeds in the garden and expect them to grow properly. The gardener is committing to this tree to take care of it. Lastly, you get the mature tree. The mature tree is now producing fruit. It may take several years to get to this point. In fact, some people repent. They start following Jesus. They become seedlings. And they stay as seedlings for their whole life. They never grow. Some of them may get to the stage of saplings, and they never grow. And some will make it to the end to become mature trees. Again, there's work here. Even though these trees are producing fruit, what happens is they need pruning to produce more fruit. So there's care. The gardener is taking care of them. Again, remember what I said in the beginning, our points. What is expected of us? To, to produce fruit. And then we see that the gardener is doing everything possible to help us produce that fruit. We have, some, uh, we have uh, uh, first of all, to look at the question, what stage are you at? Maybe you're outside the garden. Maybe you've... Maybe you've grown up in a church and you've heard the message so many times, it's become so familiar to you, but somehow it's just never managed to get into your heart. Maybe there's outright rejection of Jesus. Maybe your life is just too distracted. You don't have anything against Jesus. You don't know too much about him, and your life is just distracted. Or possibly you're hurting, and you can't somehow think of Jesus. Sometimes... These people are outside, outside the garden, and they need to come in. But maybe you've entered into the garden, and you are a seedling. A seedling is someone who's spiritually alive. They've accepted Jesus. They could be new Christians, or they could be old Christians who are just in a lull. And old, I don't mean age. I mean being a Christian for a long time. Uh, they may be excited about their faith, they lack, they lack knowledge of, of the ways of Jesus, so sometimes they're really, really marked by the culture they live in and really influenced by the culture they live in and the prevailing thoughts that come. 
Just like in Jesus' time, the people thought if something bad happens to you, you've done something wrong. A seedling may be very much impacted by the society they live in. Then comes the sapling. A sapling is someone who's growing in their relationship with God and with others. They're beginning to apply God's word to their lives. They're still self-centered though, and they're, uh, about their needs and desires. They see issues as black and white. And sometimes what happens is the issue becomes the central focus. So if you stand on this side of the issue, you're a good Christian. But if you stand on this side of the issue, you're not a good Christian. That's what happens in the sapling stage. And then finally, you get to the mature stage. This is someone who's in the garden, who the committed gardener has been taken care of, and who has surrendered to that gardener to do what needs to be done, has transformed from a seed, from being outside the garden, to being a seed in the garden, a seedling, a sapling, and is now producing fruit. This person has a solid understanding of God's word. Uh, this person is kingdom focused. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about my desires. It's no longer about my preferences. It's no longer about what I'm used to, but it is about God and God's kingdom. And this individual is involved in church despite its imperfections. They understand that God has committed the church to spread the gospel to the world, but yet the church is imperfect, so they stay. So a quick recap, something is expected of us, God expects us to have fruit. We know that the gardener is doing everything possible, pleading with the owner, let me have one more year, let me take care of this. The gardener is the one who's doing the stroking of the seedlings, who's monitoring the moisture levels, who's making sure that the seedlings have enough light, who's pruning them when they need to be pruned. And then comes the final question, the final point on our list here. There is a final deadline. You know, when school begins in September, all these, you know, there's just so much potential. It's the beginning of the year, everything is crisp and new and clean. You start in your classes, and then you may miss a class or two, you may not hand in this assignment, you may miss a test, and suddenly you start falling behind. The staff of the school is going to do everything possible to encourage you to get your assignments in, to write the tests, so that they can mark it and give you a mark so that you can pass the, the course. But if you continue in that, sooner or later, midterm report cards come out and you'll have a filling mark. But that's not the end. There's still hope. Your teachers will still work with you. Come in, meet me at lunchtime so you can write that test. They may call home. May they, they may do all kinds of things to encourage you to hand in your assignments. But eventually what happens is, no matter how many times they've tried to help you, June rolls around and the end of the school year. Final report cards come out, they're submitted to the office, and the year is over. It's now too late. Too late to pass that particular course. You can take the course over again next year, that's a possibility, but for that particular course, it's too late. And when we talk about a final deadline, we're not talking about, again, a God who's saying, uh, you know, I'm, you're going to die if you don't do it this way, that that is the final deadline. We all know we're gonna die, but it's not like it's a punishment. What happens is, it's kind of like a natural consequence, just like that student in school. They may 
turn their face away from all the, the help that they're getting, but eventually there's no more help. Eventually it's ended. Their opportunity to pass that course is over. And in this case of the garden, the opportunity to produce fruit is over. Let's look at a verse in Revelation. Revelation 22. This is near the very, very end of the Bible. John is receiving this vision from God. And it says, Then he instructed me, Do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. And now listen to this. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to do vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. And let the one who is holy continue to, look ho- to, continue to live holy. You see, God gives us choices in everything in life. He gives us a choice whether we want to enter the garden. He gives us a choice whether or not we want to surrender to his care and grow from a seedling to a mature tree. He always gives us choice. But if we constantly, constantly, constantly refuse, there comes a time when it's over. Jesus may say, okay, if this is really what you want, go ahead. Now, he doesn't say that lightly. He says that with a broken heart. But because he's given us free choice, he respects our choice. So there will come a time when God says, all right, if you're a vile person and refuse, refuse, refuse to change, be, be vile still. But then the natural consequences of being that, you'll have to accept that. So we've talked about what's expected of us to bear fruit. We've talked about the gardener, who's, the committed gardener who's so much willing to help us. And we've talked about the final deadline. But we really, really, really haven't touched on what kind of fruit. What kind of fruit? Why does a bird sing? A bird sings because it was made to sing. It's natural. It comes out of them. So the fruit is not onerous. It's something that will come natural to us if we are in the garden. Some of the fruit that we can talk about is this. From Galatians 5.22, the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit, so it's Jesus has come, has paid the price for us, has gone back to heaven, now has left the Holy Spirit with us to continue the work of redemption, transformation, and sanctification in our lives. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. If I was a completely and totally selfish person, I think I would still prefer this life to having a life that's filled with bitterness, anger, revenge. Because when we feel angry and we feel bitter, we feel miserable. But when God's love is flowing through us, we experience that love, that joy, that peace, that peace that cannot be explained. You may find yourself in a crisis and everything is going wrong and you're thinking to yourself, how can I be so calm in this situation? This is not me. And we experience that. That's the fruit. The fruit is becoming more like Jesus every day. The fruit is sanctification. That's the fruit that God wants us to produce. And the committed gardener is helping us to do that. So we come to the final question, what stage are you at? Are you at the seedling stage? Are you at the sapling stage? Are you at the mature stage? Or possibly, are you outside the garden? 
If you're outside the garden, I really, really encourage you to seek out Jesus, to find out who he really is, to take all your thoughts about who he is and find out more about who he truly is. You may find out that your thoughts about him are not correct. I encourage you to do that. Step into the gardener. For once you step into the garden, the committed gardener is there to take you and bring you right through to full maturity. What stage are you at? What do you need to do to move to the next stage or to start producing more fruit? Is there something practical you can do? Do you need maybe to um, tighten up on your spiritual disciplines? Maybe you've let them go. Do you need to meet with other fellow believers and really, really, really dig into the word? This fall, we are hoping to launch a lot more life groups. Because if we look back and we talked about how Jesus teaches, he did not have formal classes. He taught as, as, as he was walking along, as he was doing life with his disciples. And we want to see more of that in our church. So we want to launch more life groups. Some of you may be in a life group already, and that's great. But maybe a lot of you are not. But life groups are important because they're smaller communities. It's great to come to church like this and listen. But that's not enough because we listen and we go away. But in a small group, we get together and we really go deeper. We start applying that message to our lives. We start answering questions like, okay, what does that practically mean to me? That's what we start doing. In a small group, you care for each other. You pray for each other. You become the church in a small group. We'd also like to encourage mentoring this fall. Mentoring is also something that's very, very important. Maybe if you are at the stage of being mature and you think, I really can't commit to a small group, but maybe I can commit to one person, just one person for the year and everything else can be put on the back burner. And for that one person, I will commit to meet with that person semi-regularly. We will talk. We will do life together. We will come along just like Jesus taught the normal things that are going on in life and turn our eyes towards heaven to interpret those things. So I encourage you to get involved this fall. Maybe you are in a small group and you're quite comfortable there. You've been there together for years and years and years and you're quite comfortable. You don't want to move. You don't want to go to another group. But possibly you have leadership skills and maybe God has been nudging you and giving you that idea that maybe you can yourself leave your small group and branch out and lead another small group. And if that is what God has put on your heart, I encourage you to take that step. Because as a church, we want to really emphasize doing life together. We really want to emphasize uh, working together as a group and building each other up that, that we may reflect God's glory. And now as we come to the end, I'd like the um, worship team to come up. I want you to consider these things. We'll end with a bit of a reflection. Now this is something just for you and God. You don't have to give answers to anyone else but I really want you to think about this. I am in stage blank. Can you identify where you personally are? Are you outside that garden? Are you a seedling, a sapling, or a mature tree? Once you've identified that, can you say yes to this question? 
And say yes only if you truly mean it. And I'm not asking you to say it out loud, just say it in your heart. I am committed with Jesus' help to growing into the next stage or to be able to produce more fruit. Can you say yes or no to that question? Take some time to think about it. And then I want you to take some time. What are some practical steps that I can take to move to the next stage or to produce more fruit in my life? Think about it and remember, this parable is not so much about the unfruitful fig tree as it is about the committed gardener, the one who's doing everything for that seedling to produce fruit. And when we produce fruit, there's great joy in our lives. There's great love in our lives. There's great peace in our lives. Thank you very much.